You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. Today, I'd like for us to open our Bibles for a while. We are still in John chapter 1. So, meaning to say, for this entire series actually, we have been covering John chapter 1 and we will be ending this series by looking into John chapter 1. Verses 29 to 34. Please turn your Bibles for a while to John chapter 1. That's verses 29 down to verse 34. We'll begin with 29 down to verse 34. It says here, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I have said, After me comes a man who wrongs before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So we are covering verses 29 down to verse 34. In order for us to fully understand and embrace this, it might be helpful if you have your Bibles just lay flat right in front of you or your digital Bibles, just keep them open. Now, in order for us to sort this out, to look into this passage that we have, this is verses 29 down to verse 34. So we have five verses here. We're going to cover this, but here's how we're going to attempt to cover this. We will try to understand verses 29 to verse 34 by looking at three words. But you will discover later that perhaps there are some more. But I would like to mainly come on these three words. And we will use these three words to explain and understand this passage that we have. The three words that we have, the first one is found in verse 29. And it is the word behold. That's the first one that we're going to be looking into here. The second one is the word before. Which as we understand, if you have your Bibles, you would see that it is found in verse 30. And the third one is found in verse 33, and that is the word baptize. We have three Bs here. Allow me to just roll out perhaps the context of what we have here. Now, um, I would assume that many of you students, and even if you're not a student, many of you are on Netflix the past couple of days. What do you think? Is it right? You're watching a lot of shows, watching a lot of movies. I don't know what those movies are, but... The reason why I'm asking that, or I'm assuming that, that you're watching a lot of Netflix, you know how sins are like, right? So say, for instance, you have a sin wherein the antagonist would come in, beat people up and stuff like that. Now at this junction, I want you to understand this, this is important. At this junction in John chapter 1, verse 29 to 34, this is actually the first time that Jesus gets or a sin in the scene, S-C-E-N-E, all right? This is the first time that Jesus is seen. This is the first time that he gets in the frame. Prior to this, mind you, and I would assume that you know this, from verses 1 down to verse 28, what we have in those verses are the many descriptions of who Jesus is, isn't it? What's interesting with the book of John is, if you look at the synoptics, if you look at the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew and Luke, they started telling us the story of Christmas, the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, isn't it? 
You have the genealogy, and then it starts telling us the story of Christmas. So we love looking into the story of Christmas. What's interesting here is in the book of John, you don't really have the story of Christmas. But it goes further back than just the situation or what happened in Bethlehem. It goes further back to as far as Genesis chapter 1. If you remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That's how it started. So from verse 1 down to verse 28, you see a lot of descriptions of who Jesus is. But we have not seen Jesus in the frame yet. So this is the first junction that we see him. So what do we have here? We have here John the Baptist. Who was John? John was a prophet. In fact, he was so famous, he was so influential, was so revered to the point that people start asking, wait a second, are you Elijah? And he was like, no. Are you the prophet? No. So people were thinking or assuming that he was the Messiah. But he was clear in telling everyone, no, 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 I am not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I am simply the voice. Isn't it? That's actually what he said. I'm simply the voice. That's what he was saying. So now, what he was doing was, he was the one who was giving a testimony about this man. About this man. So look at this. Uh, here's what we have. I'd like for you to have this in your mind for a while. John the Baptist was a baptizer. So what was he doing? He was baptizing. All right? So he was with scores of people. You know, several people would line up. Have you been to the grocery lately? Crazy, right? So people would line up in the cashier. So people would be lining up to be baptized by John. And then, ito na ba? Ito na. Here's what happened. And then one of those people who started walking by was Jesus. Now look, here's what he has to say. In verse 29, John looks at Jesus and what does he say? He says, behold, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, here's why it's really interesting and I want you to understand this. And I think this is one way to have a Merry Christmas more than the lechon or whatever that you have. More than that, this is what will make your Christmas merry. Whatever your age is, look at this. Look at verse 29. John looks at Jesus and he says, Behold the, the Lamb of God. Now, I want you to look at your Bibles for a while and look at verse 36. Look at verse 36. What does it say there? He saw Jesus once again. The next day he saw Jesus. What does John say? The Lamb of God. He saw Jesus twice and on two occasions... He was so sure that this man was the Lamb of God. There's something we need to understand there. And you folks know this. We've been saying this over and over again. If something is repeated, when something keeps repeating, it demands our attention. It draws our attention to it. Now, in this, in this case right here, twice we have John the Baptizer, John the Baptist, calling Jesus the Lamb of God. Now, let me look into that for a while. I would assume that none of us here are Jewish. So if none of us are Jewish, most likely, majority of us are Filipinos. In the Philippines, whenever you say something, you pertain to something, immediately, there's already a word picture that comes into our mind. Let me put it this way. Kung nainiagi, naimuin mo na, uy, naang kanding, what comes into your mind? In the Philippines, when you say kanding, you think of caldereta. Right? So, I mean... Has anyone of you thought of pet? I don't think so, right? So you think of food immediately. In their context, I want you to understand this. In their context, 
Whenever you say lamb, the Jewish people has a long history with lambs. It's not like lamb is in the category of carabaos or tamaraos or whatever. When you say lamb, it means something. Are you folks catching this? So when John said, here is the lamb of God, guess what? If you are one of his audience, you have a lot of questions in your mind. Bakit maraming tanong? Kasi nga, ang sabi ko, yung Jewish nation, the Israelites, they have a long history with lambs. Alright? Tayo, wala tayong long history with lamb. Pag sabi tayong lamb, mamahalin yan. Right? So, kanding na ah. But they have a long history with lamb. So, if you were one of the audience of John, you would be asking a lot of questions. What are some of your questions? Here's what John said. John said, this man is the lamb of God. So you start immediately thinking, okay, what lamb is he talking about? Because in our history, he could be pertaining to the Passover lamb. He could be talking about the scapegoat, which ideally is still a lamb in Leviticus chapter 16. He could be talking about the gentle lamb in Jeremiah chapter 11. He could be talking about the lamb in Genesis. He could be talking about the warrior lamb. So there are just so many lambs, all right? And I want you to understand, John has a reputation he was revered, so whatever he says has some weight. It's not like one of our friends that, you know, when he says something, but then we just dismiss him because, you know, he just keeps saying so many things. But here, you're talking about someone who has the integrity. So every time he says something, people start wondering what the meaning of that is. Who says, this man is the Lamb of God. So let's try to understand it for a while. Let's try to understand it for a while. So the first question is, all right, he is the Lamb of God, but what kind of Lamb? Which Lamb? Perhaps those are the questions that were running in the mind of the audience of John. Now, scholars would say, you know, the average height of Filipino men, the average height of Filipino men perhaps is 5'7". Five, 5'10 five, is just too tall, right? So, now, if you look into, if you compare Filipinos and Jewish people, of course, you know, Jewish people are taller. But, you know, scholars found out when they did some studies that during their time, Mediterranean men, their height was 5'1 to 5'5". Five, five. So, not as tall as they are right now. My point is, this is an ordinary Mediterranean guy who was walking by and then suddenly John calls him the Lamb of God. There's nothing impressive about him. Is there anything impressive about Jesus during that time if you look at his resume? Listen, I want you to understand this. His only resume is himself. Not his birthplace, not where he grew up, not his father. His resume, his best resume is himself as we understand. So here's an ordinary guy walking by, and John calls him the Lamb of God. Now, I want you to use your imagination for a while. Imagine that you're one of the audience of John. What would you be thinking? You're Jewish. You have a long history with lambs. So John says, this man is the Lamb of God. What are you thinking? You'd, you'd immediately think that this man is bound to be sacrificed because lambs are for sacrifice. So, it's not like they don't believe John. It's just that they want to understand more. What is this guy talking about? What is this guy talking about? So, let's try to look into this for a while. When he says lamb, that's in verse 20. And here's what's interesting. He mentions, or he pertains rather, to Jesus as the Lamb of God. How many times? Twice, isn't it? Now, here's what's interesting. I want you to understand that the Jewish people were anticipating the Messiah. They were anticipating the Messiah. So if they were anticipating the Messiah, don't you think, don't you think that John could have said, hey folks, behold, there's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Right? He could have said something like that. 
Because true enough, Jesus, don't you think that Jesus is the triumphant king? Is Jesus the triumphant king? Does Jesus reign over the entire cosmos? Come on now. Is Jesus the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings? He is. So why give that name or the title that he is the Lamb of God more than saying that there's a triumphant king, the line of the tribe of Judah? He didn't mention those things, but instead he stick with the script that God has given him that this man is the Lamb of God. That this man is the Lamb of God. First and foremost, that imagery should stick to our mind that Jesus is the Lamb of God. To do what? To do what? Over and over again, like what I said, they have a long history with lambs, and over and over again, they have lambs to what? To convert, to atone for their sin as a nation. But what does John say? Behold the Lamb of God, who what? Come on now, who? Read this with me. Who takes away the sin of the world. So now John starts proclaiming that this man, this Lamb of God, is going to take away the sin, not just of Israel, but the sin even of the entire Gentile world. The sin of the entire Gentile world. I'm looking into this and I realize that it's actually true. If you read your Bibles, you look into the story of Jesus you have your Christmas devils. You've had your Noche Buena Christmas devil perhaps last night. At the end of the day, I want you to understand this, that we have to realize that it is meant to be read backwards in a sense that we're meant to understand who Jesus is always in light of the cross. Let me put it this way. Every time you start talking about the baby in the manger, you always have to end up with the man on the cross. Catch it? Because you don't just talk about a cute story, you talk about a grand accomplishment that the triumphant king has done for each and every one of us. So in the sense right here, was talking about who Jesus is. Now that's interesting. In our devotion, my wife and I, we've looked into Matthew chapter 16, and we've looked into that question, who do people say I am? I mean, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and there were a lot of opinions about Jesus. Now, let me ask this question. Don't you think that there are a lot of opinions about Jesus in our generation right now? In the States, even in North America, people have a lot of opinions about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, let's try to borrow that question and start asking that to every single one of us here today. Who do people say I am? Whenever you start talking about Jesus Christ. Now, who do you say I am according to Jesus? I'm asking that because I'd like for us to understand that when John said, Behold the Lamb of God, who is to take away the sins of the world, what he was trying to say is this, the chief work of Christ is to take away our sin. Who am I here are grateful that the Lord has forgiven you? That's the story of Christmas. That's what Christmas is about. You know, Stephen Nichols, he has this book wherein he starts looking into the difference or the dangerous trend that's happening in churches right now, and some of you perhaps subscribe to this, he says, a lot of people are embracing a cultural Jesus more than a biblical Jesus. So ibig sabihin, he was like saying, so what are these cultural Jesus? Oh, we have a therapeutic Jesus. A Jesus who's always your best friend. I mean, those things are right. If you remember, Moses was called a friend of God, isn't it? 
But you don't end there. We have to understand who Jesus is in light of what the Word says who is. The biblical Jesus is what we ought to be embracing. So first, among the many things that we can learn about Jesus is, He is the Lamb of God who is to take away the sin of the world. Amen. That's the very first thing that we need to understand. The very chief work of the God that we worship. Then look at this. It says here, that's the first one. Let me go to the next one. Look at this. It says here, after me, he says in verse 30, after me comes a man who runs before me. That's quite interesting. He says, after me is someone who's shrunk before me. Catch it? Because he was before me. So that's the second one, the second thing that I'd like for us to cover here, and that is the word before. This is actually the third time that John the Baptist has made clear that he's going to take a back seat, a back seat to Jesus. Look at verse 15. It says here, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me runs before me. Look at verse 27. He who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And the third one is found here in verse 30. Let me ask this question for a while. At this junction, this specific junction in verse 29 to 34, who's more popular, John or Jesus? Come on now. At this junction in this story, who's more popular, Jesus or John? John. Who's more influential, Jesus or John? Who has more likes, more following, Jesus or John? John. All right? John. So, Look at this. Well, I think, you know, if you ask me, this is one way to celebrate Christmas. Always think it's not about you. He has a huge following. People like him. People line up to be baptized by him. And he was like, all right, I have to step aside because this is the guy. So in essence, what he was actually saying, if you look at the verses here, he says, everything that I was doing, look at this, but for this purpose, fun verse 1, for this purpose, meaning his ministry, his baptism, everything that I am doing as John the Baptist actually point to Christ. Yung pagbaptize ko, sign lang yan. Ito yung substance. This baptizing with water, this is just a sign. Every single thing that we're doing, it points to him. You know what it reminds me? It reminds me that true enough, a fruitful, effective ministry should point people to Christ. When we disciple people, we don't disciple them in values that we embrace. We disciple them in God's Word. We point them to Christ. At the end of the day, hindi tayo bida kasi true enough, wala naman tayo ang pagsasalvation natin. So John was like, I'm stepping aside because this man is the very person to whom we have to what? align all our lives with. He says, this Jesus is the Lamb of God. Interesting. Just in John chapter 1, we've looked into the different facets or description or exaltation remarks about who Jesus is. That Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the light. Come on now, He's the Logos. He gives truth and grace. He is the very Son of God. There are so many things about Jesus. But you folks understand that John didn't have the Bible that we have right now. Tayo, binabasa natin yan sa John chapter 1. But for John, it was revealed to him by God himself. By the way, is John and Jesus, were they related? They were related. Imagine this, you're looking at your cousin and you know this person. You know this person and then for some reason, God tells you that this is actually his son, his beloved son. For some reason, he had a revelation that this is the external, pre-existent word made flesh. 
So he starts telling twice everyone, hey, wait a second, wait a second. You guys love me? Fine. You guys want to be baptized by me? Fine. But there's something more impressive than what I'm doing. That man is impressive. He is the Lamb of God. So behold the Lamb of God. No wonder because he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. Amen. Does not excite you? The very Lamb of God. In fact, I like it when people ask him, Ikaw ba si Elijah? Alam niyo minsan tayo, pabida tayo. Ganun ba tayo minsan? Alright, we want to take credit for ourselves. But for John, you know, we can learn a lot of perhaps character and leadership lessons from John. People ask, are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Are you the Messiah? No. Who are you? I am the voice. That's interesting because he says, when he said the voice, he was actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. What does Isaiah chapter 40 says? A voice crying in the wilderness, isn't it? Prepare the way for whom? Prepare the way for? For the Lord. So if he is the voice, who is the Lord? Are you folks following? If John is the voice, who is the Lord? Jesus himself. You're talking about Yahweh himself. So I don't know with you, but one of the things that has been very formative for me as a Christian, as a preacher, is biblical theology. Where you see how everything connects to each other. You see how Genesis connects to the book of Galatians and all of these things. Imagine the excitement of John with all his beard and animal skin. He was putting the pieces together. He was positing everything together. Oh, no wonder this is said in Ezekiel. No wonder this is said in Isaiah. It points to my cousin. So he starts telling everyone, here is the Lamb of God who is to take away the sin of the world. You know, John the Baptist, I would say, is smart in a sense that he knows who matters and he knows what counts. And it doesn't matter if he doesn't get the accolade anymore because guess what? Guess what? His followers actually left him for Jesus. Alright? Pag kayo, iniwan kayo ng mga, mga dinidisciple niyo, what will you say? Parang, you feel betrayed. It hurts because you feel like you know, your disciples left you. For John the Baptist, for men, this is a picture of an effective ministry because they're now following Christ. Effective in a sense that I pointed them to Christ and they're all now following Christ. Look at verse 31. This is interesting. In verse 31, it says here, I myself did not know him. So I was asking you a while ago, is John and Jesus related? They knew each other. How come I was saying I myself did not know him? Can we emphasize with John for a while? Let's emphasize with John. Imagine this. You see Jesus and God tells you, God reveals to you, this is the Lamb of God. So imagine your childhood. If I were John, I would think that way. He's having all of this realization and he says, I actually do not know him until his baptism. Until this very junction right here. Now this is interesting. Because he was saying, all of the ministry I'm doing, it actually all points to Christ. Now, look at this. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, what was happening here? I want us to immerse ourselves with a story. What was the picture here? What was the ministry of John the Baptist? He was baptizing. You know what's interesting? Who of you have heard a lot of stories or preachings about the birth of Christ? Who am I here have heard a lot of preachings about the crucifixion of Christ, about the resurrection. We've heard a lot of stories about the crucifixion, the birth of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, even the ascension of Christ. 
We've heard a lot of stories about the appropriation in the letters of Paul, the appropriation of the words of Christ. But guess what? We have not heard too many preachings about the baptism of Jesus. There's not too many out there. And I realized that, wait a second, wait a second. The reason why the next beast baptized, because I realized this is integral and this is important. It is important for us to understand that something happened in the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. How integral is it? Look at Acts chapter 1. Remember, Jesus had 12 disciples, right? One person betrayed him. Who betrayed him? Judas, right? What happened to Judas afterwards? He, he died. He killed himself, isn't it? Remember in Acts chapter 1, they were thinking, who's going to replace Judas? So the disciples were gathered together. When they were gathered together and they were thinking and praying, who should replace Judas? Guess what? In Acts chapter 1, here's what they said. So one of the men... This is the qualification. It has to be one of the men who accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John. Beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from among us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So it was, they were like saying, all right, all right, if there's one who's going to replace Judas, it has to be someone who has witnessed the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. His baptism by John. So the question there is why? I'm not saying that you're not know, witnessing the crucifixion and understanding the crucifixion isn't enough. That's totally great. But why were the disciples coming together and they were saying that the person who has to replace Judas has to be someone who has witnessed the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's try to look into the baptism of Christ for a while. First, there were three signs, three things that happened there. First, what happened? When Jesus was being baptized, Bible says, the skies opened. Have you read that? When the sky opened, what happened next? The Spirit came down as a dove. Third, there was what? A voice started speaking from heaven, isn't it? So there were these three things that happened during the baptism of Jesus. So here's my first question. Why dove? Have you ever thought of that? I mean, why not camel? I mean, why dove? I look into that and I realize... This is how important it is. First, the baptism of Christ was recorded in all four accounts of the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John talks about the baptism of Christ. And these are the events that happened. So the Bible says the Spirit came down in the form of a dove. Why dove? Three things that I'd like for us to understand. First, in the first century, Jewish people in the first century understand the nation of Israel as a dove. So they were likened to a dove. All right? In a sense. The next one is, scholars would say that the reason why it was in the form of a dove is in reference to Noah's dove. You folks remember that story? Remember when Noah released a dove? It went back and that's when he realized that the Lord has actually saved them. The land is drying up and they're saved as a family, isn't it? The third one, if you remember this, in Genesis chapter 1, it says there that the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the earth, isn't it? So, if you ask me now, which is which, it could actually be these three possibilities. These three possibilities, in essence, and I want you to catch this, in essence, here's what we have. They are all suggesting what's the common denominator between the story of Noah, Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God hovering on the face of the earth, and Israel being likened to a dove. What's the common denominator there? It's a picture of what? Of newness. It's a picture of newness. Remember, last Sunday, 
In essence, Jesus was saying, there's no need for Jacob's ladder anymore. I am the ladder. I am the new Bethel. So at this junction right here, he was basically telling everyone, when he was baptized and the Spirit of the Lord descended upon him in the form of a dove, it was signifying to everyone that this man right here is the new Israel. He is the new Noah to save the world in sin, and he is the new Adam, as we understand, ushering in a new creation. So in essence, we have to understand the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it gives us a picture of the newness that he brings into our lives. No wonder Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. All four Gospels want to emphasize that there is a new day that has dawned now with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In essence, what we have there is that John was saying, I am simply baptizing in water, but here's the real deal. Kasi, ito ceremony, ito ritual. Pero useless yung ceremony at ritual if the sign doesn't point to the substance. If we end up with ceremony and ritual, then we end up with a dead religion. But all of these things should point to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It points to our Christ. And lastly, it says here, let me add a few more. There's another one that's not found in the book of John. I want us to cover this. Remember, I did say, when Jesus was being baptized, heavens opened. The Spirit of God descended in the form of a dove. And then there's a, there was a voice from heaven. Ano sabi ng voice from heaven? This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. That's interesting because in the transfiguration in the account of Mark, God says the same thing. This is my beloved son. What does it mean? I mean, God didn't say, this is my son. Listen, everyone, listen to his teaching. Listen to what he's going to do. Look at his work. He is my son. He says something more than that. This is my beloved son. Now, where do we get that? How do we understand that? Doesn't that make you think of a story that happened in the Old Testament as well? There is another what? There used to be another what? Beloved son in the Old Testament. Another beloved son in the Old Testament. Something happened in Genesis chapter 22. There's another beloved son. Remember, the son of Abraham was Isaac. Alright? And he was his beloved son. Remember what Abraham, what God told Abraham to do to his beloved son. God told him, Abraham, take your son, the son that you love, your beloved son, bring him to the mountain. So he went to the mountain. God was telling him to sacrifice his beloved son. The moment that he was about to plunge the dagger, God shows up and there's a substitute. You have the Old Testament beloved son who is Isaac. In the story of Jesus, here is another beloved son. But guess what? Come on now. Guess what? There's no substitute for this beloved son because he is the substitute. For Isaac, there was a substitute. But for this man right here, there was no substitute because he was a substitute. In essence, this beloved son of God, this is the one who's going to carry his wood over to the mountain in Calvary. And he will be crucified and there will be no one to take his place because he is the one who took our place. There is no substitute because he is the substitute. No one to take his place because he took your place. And lastly, I want to end with this. John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. 
the culmination of all of this, it says here, this in verse 30 to 31, it says here now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe. Behold, before baptized, beloved, it ends with us believing. We believe by faith. And it says here, if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, amen? If we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. That by believing, we may have life in His name. I did say a while ago, I think it is a futile Christmas celebration if it's centered on food alone. It's a futile, it's an empty Christmas tradition if it's centered on reunions alone. It's a worthless, you're just using the story of Jesus for our celebration. If it's all about us, it's all about our families, if all we want to have is a sentimentalistic one, a nostalgic one, a real Christmas celebration is one that points to Christ. Amen? It's, it's one that is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ and the glorious work, the great and glorious work that He has done for you and for me. I pray that the gospel will take such root in our lives that it will change us from the inside out. I pray for every single one of you that you will not just be a worshiper of a cultural Jesus, but you will be a worshiper of the true Lord and Savior that we have, the biblical Jesus that we find in His very own Word. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorytumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.